Welcome to ROH Strong Podcast. Here is your host, Kevin Eck. What's up, Honor Nation? Welcome to episode 56 of the ROH Strong Podcast, the official podcast of Ring of Honor Wrestling. Now, my guest today is certainly no newcomer to professional wrestling, but he is new to Ring of Honor. He made his ROH debut at the 19th anniversary show back in March as a member of Violence Unlimited. He is Chris Dickinson. Chris, welcome to the show. You know who I am! Hey, what's going on? Good morning, good afternoon, good night. How's everybody doing out there? Um, I actually made my debut for Ring of Honor in um, 2015, the weekend of the Super Bowl in 2015. Yeah, right. I guess I, I, I guess I made it more, um, more uh, memorable uh, debut for Ring of Honor. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, anniversary show. Yeah, I guess technically you're you're 100 right. You, you had that uh, one match against Michael Elgin back in 2015, but I mm. figured this is really your kind of unofficial that was your official debut this may be your mm-hmm. unofficial debut sure yeah these days i kind of just you know do whatever i want that's so. right <laughs> <laughs> you never know where i'm gonna go next well that's true i know like uh and we'll, we'll get into all that as, you know as as we continue this conversation but uh we were just talking before we uh we started here like you just flew in from la um you're on the east coast so you're still getting you know adjusted again today to the East Coast time from the West Coast. I know you've, you've wrestled all over the world. So, I mean, you really, you really have been all over. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a busy last uh, couple of years, especially the last two. I'm very fortunate that I was able to stay pretty consistently busy during the pandemic, aside from like maybe in the very beginning, a few months of like, oh God, am I ever going to wrestle again? Pretty, some dark times there. But for the most part, I've wrestled and on a, pretty uh i've been able to keep a pretty high level of of uh of bookings and and working with the pretty good places the entire time i've been going through this whole 2020 thing <clears throat> already what is it already jesus it's already um we're in may yeah we're in may <laughs> oh god good good because the faster the time goes by you know i said it last year around this time i'm like listen there's no no way it gets there's no way it could get any worse and if it does then we're really screwed <laughs> But it, it, it can only get better, right? So it's for me personally, um, I mean, thank you to everybody that I work with. Thank you to places like Ring of Honor. Thank you to family, friends, support. I, you know, even if nobody, none of these people listen to this, I, on every time I ever do anything like this because of the, the enormity of the last year and all this stuff. I always just throw up, throw out a big thank you, especially to the fans for supporting me and keeping me going during this whole thing, you know, cause it ain't just a one man show. And you know, I got, I need support. So um, I'm so thankful for everybody that's helped uh, me continue and be able to work and earn money. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, this podcast was actually born out of uh, the pandemic and, and the necessity to uh, continue to create content while we were taking a break from live shows. So obviously a lot of the conversations on, on these uh, past 56 episodes 
past 55, I guess this is episode 56, has been, you know, what have you been doing during the pandemic and what's your experience been like? I know yours is, is a lot different than probably a lot of the talent that we've had on here because you actually got to keep working right? For the most part. I mean, I know that there was, I guess, when the pandemic first hit, it was tough because you're not signed to a major company at that point. You're an independent wrestler and the independent wrestlers got hurt more than anybody in the business. Uh, But you were fortunate in that regard, right? Because you, you still found places to work pretty much. Sure. Yeah. I mean, listen, the main, uh, one of the main um, independent uh, outfits that I work for is a game changer wrestling GCW and they were pretty consistent at um, keeping a schedule going after the first initial few months and staying, staying busy, booking outdoor shows, uh, just, you know, falling into the regulations wherever they were running as best as possible. Um, some other places followed suit. Not, you know, not really. GCW really was it. And there was some stuff going on out in Indianapolis for a little while, different promotions. And then um, kind of like in the summer, started getting some phone calls the wheel started turning started going out to the west coast filming um stuff for the united wrestling network um eventually new japan pro wrestling um started uh communicating with me and i started heading out to la to do stuff for them and la is a, a great place for that because you know they have the the studios you could you, you have that closed studio environment there's 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 those uh <clears throat> Those like sound stages where they, you could you you could put something together like that and have all the good, all the bells and whistles and effects and lights and everything and have a crew and they could get everybody tested and it's just I'm I'm just blessed man I'm just lucky and but I I it's 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 not by luck and chance I just kept my head down kept working kept moving forward um, because I don't have I don't have much of a choice and just for my own uh, mental you know uh, health and my own my own self i couldn't just sit back and just you know say oh i'll just wait until whatever i had to keep keep moving so that's that's me and it had to be tough for you at first because i mean you were working it as we as we've been saying you were working a lot i mean you were really you were you know one of the ones who on the independent scene who really was making a good living you were working as much as you wanted to i guess um and then all of a sudden boom yeah. everything shuts down it was getting a little crazy, uh, to be honest. It was, a, it was like uh, weekends that would be – I'd wrestle. I'd drive uh, four hours to go to Massachusetts because I had moved back to New York at the time to wrestle for a Thursday night, um, ride back to Staten Island where I'm from to fly out on a Friday morning to go wrestle on a Friday night maybe do a show in the same area on like a Saturday and then maybe fly somewhere else on a Sunday and then fly back on, on a, on a, on either like a red eye or a Monday morning. Like I, and it would be constant back and forth to the West coast, the East coast. Um, a lot of, I'd be, I'd be in Mexico. I'd have to come back to somebody drive me back over the border, fly out of like San Diego or something. Like I was just always moving around and staying super busy. <clears throat> and my weekends would usually consist of, two to four bookings at the at the, the most and i uh, was staying super busy um to be honest i remember thinking the way things were working out with my schedule uh going forward into 2020 it was like huh i don't know if i'm gonna be able to keep this up i might i might just like i might die or something <laughs> so uh i don't know everything happens for a reason and now um <clears throat> it's interesting a lot of the guys 
a lot of people all across the business from I have friends in WWE who are so happy they don't have to travel. You know what I mean? They just drive, especially if they live in Florida, they just drive to their, 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 their work, their, to go to work basically and then go back home. Or, you know, a lot of guys that are for ring of honor or you know, work over the new Japan, you go and you knock out um, all of the stuff in a, the span of a few, of a few days that will last, you know, a few months almost two months or so worth of tv or or tapings or whatever it is and uh it does take a lot of the wear and tear off of the because flying is the worst flying i love how um <clears throat> it's such a badge of honor for wrestlers to like earn their their first flight or people are flying me places sure like i I get that. It's, it's, it's an interesting feeling in the beginning. It's cool. But after you've done it a million times, all flying does is just, I, I personally feel I've had this conversation with, with people, um, is just take uh, days off of your life. <laughs> just, uh, it, it just breaks you down physically. It, it, for me, mentally, I hate flying. It's just, it's just flying is, is a drag. So the less you could fly and the more you could do uh, without having to fly as much, I think is better. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm actually with you on that. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of flying myself. I, it's not like I'm, I don't have any fear of flying or anything like that. No, it's, no. It's, yeah. It's, make, it's, you know, yeah. It's, it's the, the nervousness of making sure you wake up on time, you don't miss your flight and then go into the airport and you've got to go through secure. It's just like, it, then they lose your luggage. I mean, all those things. It's yeah. like, it's great when you arrive at your destination, but everything you have to do up to that point. Uh, yeah. Is yeah. I mean, it's just, I always look at it like this. <clears throat> that's, that's, that's like the going to work part. You know, everybody has a jazz. A, there's a drag or a part, excuse me, a, a bad part about their, um, their, their job, you know, that they don't like or whatever. And we all have to tough it out for a period of time with certain things. That's like the, that's usually the, the least fun part about pro wrestling is the, is the hours that you put in on the airplane, but it could be worse. You know what I'm saying? I usually I'm sitting there on Instagram or, or watching wrestling on, on my phone. So I, like I said, is a, it's a, there's tougher jobs. <laughs> well, I guess, and you sort of alluded to this, maybe it was a little bit of a blessing in disguise. Not that you obviously wanted a pandemic to hit and interrupt your career and, and all sure. that, but you did have a few months there where I guess you could sort of take, take a breath and, and let your body heal up a little bit. I mean, did you, did you see any benefits of that? Oh, yeah. I'll, and in many ways, um, what happened was uh, having to adapt to um, some different training methods and then willingly jumping into some, some different training um, methods myself i feel like in the last year even at where i'm at now and having trained for so long i feel like i got myself in better at absolute physical condition and uh, i feel great than i've ever been before and that came with just having to adapt because of gym closures or or i'm um, having a you know, at one point I had the keys to a gym in New Jersey, which is over the bridge and, you know, a bit of a drive from where I'm at here, but I still went like, you know, every day and paid the tolls because I had no choice. There was a, there was this gym and there was, it wasn't like a full gym, but there was available stuff to use. So, you know, I'm adapting my training methods to like what's going on over there and what's available. I'm working out outdoors, obviously less wear and tear from, from trap from um, obviously not traveling or wrestling as much. Um, and then I started uh, training with my friend Josh Barnett 
um, more exclusively for like longer periods of a time staying out on the West coast. And that's when like, I really started to, to learn some new training methods and adapt some ideas that I brought into my own, you know, training on my own time, aside from just the stuff we're doing in the, in the dojo on the mats or whatever. I'm talking about like the workouts we'd be doing together just out in his garage with like a pair of dumbbells, a couple of bands, a weight vest, an air bike, just basic stuff, not a full gym. And I, and I'm telling you, I've had, I had a workout in the parking lot in, uh, in California the other day, you know, one of these mornings without, with no weights, no nothing. I see a bench for a, a, a picnic table and that's it. And I'm, I've been, I've ta- I've trained myself to be able to give myself the best workout for pro wrestling, in my opinion, to, for, you know, but by using a boxing timer, um, minimal rest, all that stuff, all these ideas, I'm able to train now, no weights, no nothing. I don't need a gym and I'm having a, a better workout than if I had all that. And I, and it's a better workout geared towards uh, maximizing my performance in the ring which is what the point is of everything. Right. You know, I think a lot of guys in pro wrestling, a lot of, a lot of guys, um, they kind of have this idea of what they want to be and then they train for it. But, and I was the same way for, for many years. And I trained just like a, like a bodybuilder or a train line, like a power lifter or, you know, and that's not where, what my body, maybe what my body really needs to, to be able to perform to its fullest potential. So I think in the last year, more than anything, finding the methods that work the most for me came with having all of that accessible free time. You know what I mean? I had a lot more time to train really hard, rest and recover, eat a ton of good food, get my body where I wanted it to be. Because it's true before I, uh, before all this, I was I, it was tough. It's tough. It's tough to keep up on all that stuff when when a, you constantly have to make a flight and you're on the road, flying around for two three days. You run out of food. It's a it's a, you know you're not training. It's a, it becomes a real drag. Yeah, that, that's something I've always admired about the men and women in this business is that you have that hectic travel schedule, um, and I'm talking about the people who fly and stuff like that. That are you know you're always in airports and you've got to you never have time to really eat properly and you have to, you know, you're on, you're, you're appearing in your underwear basically in front of people. So you have to be in tip top shape. And certainly that lifestyle of traveling is not really conducive to staying in shape and eating properly and getting the time to train. So I've always marveled about how, how, you know, like I said, people, men and women in this business can, can really kind of juggle that. Uh, but I want to ask you another question. Uh, We've, we're doing these shows in Ring of Honor, as you know, with no fans. And I've asked pretty much every guest we've had on the show, what was that like? Have you ever done it before? Uh, you actually had done it, right, during the pandemic when you were doing the stuff for uh, the United Wrestling Network. You were wrestling in an empty arena, correct? Sure, sure. You have to think I've actually I've done it way before this. You know, I was um, part of the inception of a company called Beyond Wrestling, where we did a closed studio tapings, and we're talking like many, many moons ago, you can go look it up, um, so, but there were still people around the ring, you know, watching and cheering, and then and, and people, you know, the fans, the wrestlers would kind of egg on what's going on, and, and kind of be along for the ride as well, so it wasn't like, you know, you're right, um, wrestling in front of nobody, where if there was no commentary, you could hear a pin drop, and that's kind of been the, uh, 
a story in some some respects. So yeah, and the no fan stuff. I'm very just like I said, thankful and fortunate to be able to work, and uh, I don't mind it. I feel like it. I feel like it opens up a different dynamic, and it really makes you have to tap into a different uh, part of your of your intensity and really ramp it up. And to, and like if you, if the amp goes to ten, you got to go to like you got to go to like nineteen, man, because because there's no there's no crowd there. Um, you know, sometimes uh, you know you take your cues from from the crowd in a way, right? Uh, you, you, you don't have that anymore. You have to kind of carry all of the, the energy moving forward, meaning you have to, and there's only, the only people that are going to see this is through the lens of a, the, the lens of the camera. So you have to have as enough energy. I want to have enough, um, fire to be able to punch through that, that, that camera, you know, and get to people's heads through the screen or and really grab people's attention and it's not as easy when there's not a when there's not a crowd around but i believe you have to really ramp you know ramp up the intensity and uh i'm used to it at this point i i enjoy it there's there's things about it that i enjoy but i absolutely do miss um more of that like live show environment which i've gotten a taste of though i've still been able to do it do, do some do shows in front of fans and uh you know whatever's gonna whatever's gonna keep the keep moving the chains but I don't mind it. I'm cool with it. I I, uh, I hope it's not forever and ever, but the closed studio stuff. But uh, yeah, sometimes it is a little weird, um, especially if there's no commentary and they, they like overdub the commentary afterwards. It's like you'll be in the middle of something and maybe there's uh, something where, you, where where there's there's not you know you're you're on you're resting or you're you're hurt and you're you're, you're away from your opponent and there's this kind of si this dead pan silence in the room and it's like oh this is just this is awkward you know so when you had your match uh, that six man tag in uh, in Ring of Honor uh, Violence Unlimited against La Faction and Gobernable mm. obviously we did have commentators you could hear Ian and Caprice so. And I've asked other people this as well. Hearing the commentary while you're in there, uh, does that help or does it throw you off that you can actually hear the talking? Oh, I love that. I think it's great. Um, and I'm fortunate. I think those guys are. I think those guys are fantastic. I will say this. I've since I've you know uh, started working with Ring of Honor, um, I've been like following the product. I caught myself up on a lot of the the TV and the YouTube and going into you know all the stuff that was happening. And those guys are great. That's a great commentary crew they got there. And um, same thing with Kevin Kelly, uh, Alex Kozlov, those guys. When they're there at New Japan, I love hearing the commentary. When, uh, when the match is happening, it's fun. You know, it's not overbearing because it's I used to do. I remember I worked for an indie one time where they did live commentary where it would be on the PA system while you were wrestling. Yeah, that, that's never good. It was it was like it was ridiculous. Yeah, I've um, seen that a few times. It's never good. Not a not a fan. No. But uh, but but when the, when it's subtle enough, where the room is, the room is empty anyways. So there's no white noise or anything, and you could just hear them. I, I enjoy it, and especially looking at the guys that are that are doing it here. I'm I'm, right. I'm listening to Kevin Kelly. I'm listening to Ian and Caprice. These these guys are these guys are good. So I'm I'm all about. I enjoy it. Yeah, I guess the toughest part being a performer is just you don't get that adrenaline rush of coming out through the curtain and there's screaming fans right there that you can play off of and make eye contact. I mean, I'm talking about just, you know, before the bell even rings. 
Mm-hmm. I do, man. I, I gotta, I gotta disagree with you. I do. Okay. I get pumped. I'm, I'm pumped up before I go out there, and it's because I, I get myself jacked up. I have, no, you have no choice. I can't. Don't, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say to myself, oh, but there's no people. I no. That's there is people. They're watching through the camera, and uh, I have to do the, my absolute best to, 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 to give them everything I got because they're the ones that are watching this. They're the only ones that could see it. So it's kind of like I heard this thing a long time ago um, about like the rockers or Marty Jannetty or something. They'd, they'd make, they'd look around and make sure everybody, even the people in the front row, if they saw somebody was looking away or wasn't paying attention, if someone's looking at their phone type of thing, you know, Mm -hmm. before anything goes down, you got to make sure you got their attention. You got to make sure you got everybody in the room paying attention to you, paying attention to you. I know it's obviously kind of different when there's nobody in the room and we we're going through the, you know, the, the the lens of a camera, but maybe the idea is to just make sure you're just taking it down, take moving just at the, moving at the right pace to just make sure everything you do is able to grab attention because you don't want to, you don't want any wasted movement. I don't want any wasted movement. And um, just make sure everybody knows exactly what's going on before it happens so that you're not just going through the motions. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your uh, entrance into Ring of Honor uh, the second time, right? We talked about it earlier. You were, you did have one match in 2015. Uh, but when you get the call this time, uh, were you surprised? Did it kind of come out of the blue for you? Or was this in the works for a while? I believe it was in the works for a short time. I wouldn't say a while. I was surprised, yes. I never thought I'd work with Ring of Honor ever again, honestly. And, uh, well, I'll never say never, but, you know, I was, uh, I was surprised, yeah, for sure. Now, you've wrestled all three of your uh, faction mates in Violence Unlimited, Brody King, Homicide, Tony Depp, and you've, you've faced all of them. Two uh, of them, uh, yeah, many, uh, many times in some respects there. I've, and a lot of guys in the company in general, and some of the best guys. So I've wrestled a lot of them before. Well, I was going to ask you, um, it, you know, it's not like you were just thrown into a faction with guys that you weren't familiar with. Obviously, you know these guys are not total strangers. So um, I guess the question, you know, how, how are each of those guys to work with? Mm. They're tough. <laughs> you, guys are tough. You, got a, you got a good group of individuals here. Everybody's different. Not everybody's um, even remotely kind of close. I mean, some similarities. Me and Homicide, obviously. I, Homicide's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. I mean, you could slap him on a list next to, uh, you know, a Keiji Mudo or, a, you know, a, a Nobuhiko Takata. He's, he's one of my all-time favorite wrestlers. I was there live for so many of those big moments back in the day on the Indies at Jersey All Pro Wrestling at Ring of Honor. I was there when Ring of Honor started. I was I was went to maybe the third or fourth show I was there in the crowd. Um, and then I was going to live shows at the Murphy Rec Center, eventually um, the Rexplex, uh, all around the, that South Philadelphia and New Jersey, uh, New York area, because I'm – I'm, I'm from Staten Island. I grew up in Staten Island and I had friends that were really into it too. So who's, who's got the car, you know, who's, who's driving. That's how I got introduced to, you know, indie wrestling back then. So I was along for the ride. 
And I loved Homicide. Um, so we're talking about, you know, we have a real legitimate, um, you know, a pillar, one of the pillars of the company here that we got, uh, who I've shared a ring with. Um, and I mean, that's anytime you could even share or be in the same room as somebody like that and talking to him is, is a privilege to be able to learn, you know, and to be able to just, you know, become a sponge and just, you know, take anything. Yeah. And, and this is somebody that's become a, a close friend, a mentor, um, someone that I, that I legitimately trust. So I, this is, that, that's, that's a big factor there in a part of this group. Um, Tony, he's a, uh, he's something, man. He's, I remember being introduced to Deppin and now seeing from how, how far he's come from where he was when I, maybe I first heard of him. It's, it's unbelievable right? to the point where I could tell you I'm standing on the apron in a tag match watching Tony do his thing against, um, you know, somebody. And it's like, Whoa, this is, this is incredible, you know, and I've, I've watched Tony grow into quite a professional wrestler and he's, um, he's a, he's a good dude. Uh, Brody is, it's just a monster. He's a total freak. He, he's so agile. He's so agile and could move so well for his size. And, um, all in all, I mean, without, you know, getting into too much personal detail, he's a, he's a really good guy. His, his, his heart's in the right place. His mind's in the right place. And he, um, he, he has a good understanding of what's, what's happening out there, what, what's, what people want to see. Um, and he's, he's just cool. He's a cool dude. He's, he's, he understands, he understands, he's got his like finger on the pulse almost, you know? And, um, He's really, uh, really, like I said, a pretty impressive athlete for his size. You know, usually guys that big, you know, they don't move as well or they're not uh, as smooth on their feet. He's, he's quite, a, quite exceptional. Oh, there's no question about it. The stuff that he can do for a guy his size, I mean, the first time you see Brody and you're not expecting it, it's like, wow. Like, you just can't believe a guy that size can be that agile. Yeah, uh, and as far as, like, an uh, aesthetic – uh, standpoint he's incredible looking yes. you know he's just uh you look at the guy he's just you know he's he's covered in in all these wild tattoos he's he's uh he's got amazing gear he's just uh he's a good dude oh wait there's a fire engine going by outside <laughs> welcome to new york city well it's not it's not it's not your residence i hope no no i just gotta go actually pour myself some more coffee so <laughs> okay um, you know, when you talk about Deppin, uh, the match he had with Tracy Williams uh, on TV recently, you know, that, that's one of the best matches I've seen, you know, probably of the year. And I know we're only, you know, five months into the year, but uh, that match was just outstanding. And I, I put this out on social media. If you're a fan of pro wrestling, you have to watch that match because that's, as far as, you know, just the action, it was, it was hard hitting. The storytelling, I don't, I don't think it, get much, it gets much better than that. Hey, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I don't think anybody's wrestled uh, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams more than me. Yeah. Um, I've wrestled Deppin quite a few times, and yeah, I watched them wrestle, and I was like, damn, these guys got, got something going on here. They got chemistry. So I was like... Whew, that was one of those moments where I really did like I 
I was like, whoa, Deppen, man, he's really leveled up. And, and so's uh, Hot Sauce. I mean, I haven't, I haven't wrestled Hot Sauce in a few years. Um, but like I said, we've shared a ring many, many times, all around the world, actually. And um, yeah, to see these guys growing into these, you know, these efficient professional wrestlers, it's, it's pretty impressive. And yeah, I do, I would suggest anyone to seek out that match. I, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty blown away. I was like, damn, this is some good stuff. Who are some of the guys, and, and I know you don't want to slight anyone, so just the first names that come to mind, who are some of the guys on this roster that you haven't worked with before that you're looking forward to getting in the ring with? Mm, Jay Lethal. Mm, that's a good one. <laughs> Jay Lethal and I actually um, started wrestling around the uh, same time. He was a bit older than me, I think, but I was like really young maybe 14 or 15 or he was might've been 17. I can't remember exactly, but we have the same trainer. We started the same wrestling school in Bayonne, New Jersey, at Jersey all pro wrestling. We started the same company. Um, I used to train with Jay lethal then, uh, but that we never actually had a match, you know, cause he, his, his trajectory was, he was such a natural and I was, I was a kid, you know, it took me, it took me, a couple of years it took me a while to really figure out what I wanted or start learning how to really get it, get it going in the ring. And uh, lethal man, that guy, he was a freak when he was like 16, 17 years old. And he's still unbelievable to me. I'm like, I could, I'm watching him and I'm like, wow, like he's, he's something. So I'm looking forward to working with, with lethal for sure. In fact, I'm I'm dying for that because I've never we've never crossed pads in, in an actual match or in a ring or anything like that. So that's someone that I'm really looking forward to getting my hands on. Yeah, well, that's got to happen at some point, I would think. Uh, mm. We're having this three-way faction warfare with you guys and Violence Unlimited and La Faction and Gobernable and mm. Foundation, mm. which obviously Lethal's a part of. So, yeah, I mm. think it's it's – that's got to be in the cards, I think, at some point. And it is it's, it's weird because I know you guys were both from Jersey All Pro. It's it's uh, it's weird that you guys never actually crossed paths in the ring. You yeah, well, you didn't actually wrestle. You know, if I could, if this could, if, if this, you know, we're talking like so many years here, but Ring of Honor is, you know, has obviously moved on and evolved into something you know, so, so big and so enormous. Now ring of honor, the inception of ring of honor is so tied to that company, Jersey, all pro wrestling that, that, uh, that from years ago, um, so much of the same talent crossover, um, kind of running in the same similar area, Northeast, uh, there was just a lot of similarities, right. And Jay lethal was a big part of Jersey, all pro wrestling, as well as, kind of the early or the early times of, of ring of honor and developed into one of their, their real top guys pretty early there. And um, I just, for my, for, for my own uh, enjoyment and entertainment, I, I always think it's interesting to see those things kind of come full circle. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very excited to step into a ring with Jay Lethal. Well, Jay Lethal, obviously two time former ring of honor world champion. He's held the title longer than anyone his two reigns combined. Let me ask you about another uh, former Ring of Honor world champion, and that's PCO. Because oh. I heard in doing my research for this uh, interview today, I, I had heard you in another interview talk about PCO playing a sort of a pivotal role 
in your career a few years ago? Could yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest with you. I uh, I uh, I saw Carl last time um, we did stuff for Ring of Honor. Mm-hmm. Crossed paths with him. I haven't seen him in a long time, and uh, you know. I almost like cried a little bit. I was so happy to see him because yeah. Um, I was a little down and out. I was, you know, going through things in my real life and just wrestling was in a spot where I was like trying to figure out what I needed to do, where I, how I needed to really get things going again to, to, to be who I wanted to be and be where I wanted to be. And you know, all that, that good stuff. And I had some matches with Carl and I, and I remember working with him and, and I, and he's, he's nuts. He's, he's, let's just going to just say it like it is. He's, he's absolutely, he's insane. There's no question. Um, and he inspired me. He did his enthusiasm, his, um, his attitude, just how nuts he is, I guess. I don't all the, all those, all those things just kind of really, really like lit a fire under my ass that I guess I really needed made me realize like, wow, this guy is, you know, so much older than me. He's accomplished so much yet. He's out here on these shows and the Indies um, wanting to really give it his all. Just, just leave nothing out there. Just, just, you know, leave nothing on the table. Just get it, do as much as he can to, you know, to, to send this crowd home you know, with their jaws on the floor and all that. He's just, he's just a hard worker. And he, you know, it could, it could be mistaken for him just being, you know, crazy or, but it's, 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 a, it's admirable. And um, he's a good guy. And he's, in, you know, and I was introduced because of him, obviously I was introduced to Destro, his manager. What um, a character, right? Oh, he's the best. These guys <laughs> are the best. They're good. We're talking about great guys. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, he, Carl really was, he was, he was, he, he lit a fire under my ass when I got to work with him a few times. I don't know whether that was 2017 or 2018. We had, we had some matches on the Indies and, uh, and we, yeah, it's just, he's a, he definitely pumped me up. Well, when you're in the ring with PCO, no question about it, you're going balls to the wall, whether you want to or not, right? He's going to make sure that that happens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were just having a conversation about him. Me and, me and Brody were, were always kind of putting over Carl because we both love him so much and he's worked pretty extensively with, with Carl as well. Right. And uh, we were, we were talking about him literally the other day. Um, he is, and he's and so on top of, you know, the fact that he's, he wants to, to he, he, he's so uh, nuts and wants to, you know, basically die <laughs> I don't know. or he wants to like try he wants to cheat death as much as humanly possible i don't he's such a huge guy he's huge he's a monster yeah and he's he's a big man he's got to be at least like 270 pounds 280 pounds he's wide he's huge even at his age he still retains a pretty good amount of size so uh it's he's in the ring he is uh it is something when you're wrestling when you're wrestling somebody like pco or when you're wrestling pco it's you're on your toes, you know what I mean? It is like, it is, you gotta be, you gotta be ready for anything. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, well, we're gonna squeeze in our first break here and then we'll be back with more with Chris Dickinson right after this. I'm Maynard the Maltmaker. I'm Mega the Bard. 
I'm Ender the Barbarian. I'm Santi the Bard. And I'm Tia the Wizard. And if you want to see us try to attempt to rob a boat, check out Roleplay of Honor. Join these stars and more for Roleplay of Honor. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Chris Dinkinson, member of Violence Unlimited. I want to talk a little bit about um, New Japan Strong, because I know you, you know, we alluded to that, that you're working for them. Uh, the show airs on New Japan World. It's uh, New Japan streaming service. Was working for New Japan, all, and I know this isn't in Japan, it's actually in LA, but was working for that company always a goal of yours? Um, yes. Working for New Japan Pro Wrestling was my main goal. It was my main goal. Um, well, my main goal, my life goal, was always to wrestle in Japan. Okay, so um, I did that. And, you know, after that, it's like, well, got to go bigger now, right? You have, to, you have to start setting the bar higher. So, you know, I, I found success. And I light bulb started going off in my head and I was like, you know, there's no reason why I can't be here. Why I can't, why, why I shouldn't wrestle for new Japan pro wrestling there. They are far and away the top company in Japan. They are in, you know, they are the, the top professional wrestling company in the world. All right. I'm just going to say it like it is. They still offer a, a, a legitimate professional wrestling show on the level of which they are still such a huge company. It's remarkable to me They they still, you know, are a professional wrestling company and in an age where, you know, all the other companies on that, of that caliber, that, 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 um, that get that, that type of attention, they, they've shied away from that, you know, and, and, and New, New Japan from top to bottom from the way that they, and then especially, most especially, I have so much appreciation and um, I'm so enamored by the way that they still develop their talent and the way that they train their their guys and the, the, the Young Lion Dojo system, whether it's in Japan and, you know, what I've been fortunate enough to see myself with Shibata and the LA Dojo guys. It's incredible to see how this company is nurturing the future of not like I'm going to say the business, I'm going to say of professional wrestling itself. And it's, it's so impressive. And yeah, it, it's, it's a huge goal. It was a huge goal, but now that like I work, I work there and it's now what are the goals going forward within the company? It's like, man, I can't say enough about how happy I am and how like, damn, like I finally feel like I'm somewhere where the camaraderie in the locker room there between the guys and, you know, and the company in general, it's just, it feels so good to be there to know that there's so, there's these other like-minded individuals who feel the same way about professional wrestling as I do. You know, it's, I've never felt like I was more a part of a team. Whereas, you know, on a, in a lot of other situations, everybody's always kind of looking out for themselves. Everybody just kind of has their own idea of what they want pro wrestling to be. Whereas it, within the, that, that locker room there, we're, we're, we're building a, 
we have a nucleus there that's and a chemistry that's been growing and growing for for months and months and months and months and it's it's really just it's just getting started man and you got some really good guys over there like-minded guys that love pro wrestling that respect pro wrestling and i mean look look at the people that they have behind it there you got katsuyori shibata is, is is training these guys and he's and and he's at these tapings he's helping people you know he's acting almost as a i guess people would would uh, put a compare to an agent or you know however he could offer his advice when what, what things he sees and the, the people behind it in general period it's 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 all such a great uh experience all together and you know i would say that the that's the strong group of guys and the show itself it's it's evolving into something really special no question about that and i think for ring of honor fans who maybe haven't uh watched it i think they should i think if you enjoy ring of honor i think you'll also enjoy the uh new japan strong show rocky romero obviously heavily involved there uh brody king you can't can't say enough i can't say enough good things about rocky and his involvement there especially you know the pieces that he's putting in place and uh like i said that's another guy who just has so much experience so much worldly experience um, someone that I watched when I was, like I said, someone like a homicide, you know, someone like a Jay Lethal or someone that I watched when I was developing, growing up as like a teenager. So yeah, these are the guys who, yeah, I want to, I want to be around. I want to work with, I want to work for, I mean, they've got a wrestling guy running a wrestling show. That's how, that's how it should be. And I want to be able to, you know, learn as much as I can from somebody like that. So let's talk about some other places that you've worked because again, we, we alluded earlier that you've, you've wrestled all over the world. Two part question. Uh, what are some of the other countries that you've wrestled in and what's the strangest experience that you've had in your world travels? I know there, there must be some crazy stories. What's one that comes to mind that uh, you can tell on a, on a family uh, PG podcast? Oh, there's, there's definitely quite a few. I've had some bad ones. The bad ones are the ones that I probably couldn't tell on the PG podcast. But I've wrestled in Mexico. I've wrestled a fair amount in the, in the United Kingdom. I've wrestled in Canada. I've wrestled in Australia. Uh, I've had some bad travel experiences with, like, you know, things that were completely out of my control happening to me while I was just, like, in, you know, in, in – <laughs> in the process of traveling that almost like screwed me and got me stuck somewhere or got me stranded. I've got like a couple of good stories like that. I've got, um, you know, stories where I've kind of gotten sick while I was traveling. Uh, I've had any like culture, any culture shock type moments. Oh, I mean, to not go in like a shock type of moment, I thought Japan was incredible. But Japan, in a way, see, where you, when you go to all these other places, right, when you, when, you go, when you start traveling so much or you wrestle for so long and you constantly get on a plane, you go someplace that you've never been before, you drive somewhere you've never been before, you know, sometimes you, obviously everybody's human. You build up expectations of what things are going to be like, especially when you're younger and you've never done it all before. A lot of times you get let down, right? You know, it's kind of like, yeah, this was okay. It wasn't exactly where I thought it was going to be. Or when I went to Japan, obviously I had 
pretty lofty expectations because it's this is my life goal here. I've been dreaming about wrestling in Japan since I was in like the eighth grade, right? So went to Japan and not only did it like was it better than what I expected, it far exceeded any expectation you could possibly imagine. And obviously there's a lot of factors involved. I went over there and worked for some great companies. The shows were all really awesome. They were all sold out. Um, the stuff I was do I was doing and was a part of was already kind of over before I even got there. So it wasn't like I just went there to wrestle. You know what I mean? Yeah. I I, I already it was it was all really set up well, and I had some tremendous opponents. My first match in Japan is like one of the most memorable moments of my life, and I'll never forget it. Um, you know, things like that that just really like blow you away and just you're immediately accepted. You know, it's that's the stuff that you that I that you dream about because you you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? And um I thought that the culture over there was just incredible. Everything from from the, it was a culture shock to me was I grew up in New York City. You know, obviously I'm a, I've taken public transportation quite a few times. Obviously, the subway, damn, the trains over there and the subways, it's so clean. You literally could drop food on the floor and eat it. I mean, it is, it's so clean and so tidy and so efficient that it's almost sad. It, 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 it really blows away anywhere or any, anything I've, I've ever been or seen it's, as far as things like that are concerned. You know, it's, it's some areas of Tokyo, like you go to Rio Goku and it's like, it's so nice. It's, it's almost weird. It's almost like fake. Almost feels like you're in uh, like a, a video game, like Shenmue or something like that. It's, um, <laughs> what, what it's, is that about us here in America? Because you make a great point that we're, we're like, we're dirty, right? Cause I think, you know, I've been on the New York city subway. I know what you're talking about. I've never been to Japan, but like I've, the first time I went to Canada, I went to Toronto and I had kind of that same feeling of like, man, it's so clean here. I don't know what it is that, that we're so dirty in our cities here in America. That's, that's a, uh, it's a free-for-all here, man. <laughs> it's a free-for-all. Over yeah. there, there's a, you have to understand, in Japan, there's a lot more shared culture. Yeah. There's a ton of shared culture there. So people are more in tune with each other to you know, kind of work together. Whereas here, it's especially in New York City, forget about it. <laughs> it's kind of just a free-for-all. But um, yeah, uh, Tokyo... Uh, I, like I said, I was blown away by the cleanliness of some places, uh, the overall politeness of the people. It's so blown away by the fans. The fan, oh my god! Like, you know, the people over there, they love pro wrestling. I mean, pro wrestling is is a thing. It really is. And uh, if 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 they know you're about it and you're about their culture and you you're interested in their culture and you want to be accepted into their culture and you already have done your done done you know you already are kind of in tune with it and and they pick up on that they love it they're so they're such nice people i had a guy i mean the people over there forget about it. they're so supportive if you bring uh, you know i i did so well with uh merchandise and I had a gentleman every day he, of, that I was on a show. He came to every show I was on in the course of uh, two weeks at this point. He bought something every day. And the, the last day, I, of, you know, I only had X amount of items, right? 
I gave him a, sh- a free shirt, right? Because he, he bought something every day, every photo he wanted autographed. He wanted every item. I gave him the shirt for free. The guy got down on his knees, bowed, and started crying. You know, he was so thankful that I gave him this shirt. He literally couldn't. He was like sobbing. I was like, like, whoa, this is intense, and it's real. Wow. There's these these people really do appreciate and respect you, and it's and it's and it comes from such a genuine place, and it really puts into perspective, like, wow, this is how much this means to these people. Well, this is how much this means to me. This is why. That's why I'm in this position. That's why I'm wrestling in this foreign country in Asia right now, is because pro wrestling has meant so much to me, and the the fan culture and the fact that kayfabe is still um very much a thing in japan it just all um adds up and makes it this experience as a pro wrestler that it's unbeatable and it can't be matched um so that's it's it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty cool place (laughs) yeah and i've heard that from so many people that have been there very similar stories uh, it's on my it's on my bucket list. You know, I'd love to get there to see wrestling at some point. You should. I mean, dude, there's all these stores, man. Just just in Tokyo, as you go to all these different stores, they sell memorabilia, merchandise, whatever. There's but there's several of them, and there and there's some of them are incredible, big and small. I mean, it's literally like a like a Disney World for pro wrestling kind. Of. Yeah. But let me let me shift gears and talk about um, intergender wrestling. Because I know it's something that's really been a, a, a significant part of, of your career. And it's a little bit controversial, you know, intergender wrestling. Some people absolutely love it. Some people absolutely hate it. Uh, but it seems like there's not a lot of in-between. Um, well, let me ask you first. How did it come about that you really got involved in, uh, in wrestling against women? I think in the earliest uh, stages of it, it was just a matter of uh, – there's so many guys, there's uh, not so many girls. Um, do you want to wrestle this girl? And I said, sure. And she was already uh, wrestled in Japan a few times. She was a bigger girl, um, you know, kind of close to my size. Uh, just that's kind of like how it happened. I was like, oh, well, who's going to wrestle? Who's going to wrestle her? And I was like, I'll, I'll wrestle her. You know, it wasn't like uh, this big idea, like we're going to change the world. There's going to be intergender wrestling. I mean, I just it just happened so that uh, this one this one Beyond Wrestling taping we did, I ended up wrestling a girl, and and then I uh, I wrestled her like I would wrestle anyone else. Like I said, she had experience. She was tough. She was she was on the, uh, she was a little bit bigger, and she, she was. That's kind of like how I started wrestling girls, you know. So it really, so I guess, so out of that first time, it just kind of took off from there. Where. People, people just started match promoters started matching you up with, uh, I guess, as it grew in popularity um, on the indies. I guess so, so. You were just a guy that they they knew had done it, maybe, and and was willing to do it, maybe. Because I, I, I know I think there's some guys that that aren't. Yeah, I mean, there was some. There's I wasn't the only one. I mean, it wasn't like I, it wasn't like some new concept. Probably, I'm sure it's been it had already been happening at that point for a while too. Yeah. Um, but you gotta understand something here. These girls, girl wrestling, uh, female pro wrestling is in a different place now. There's, there's a lot more female pro wrestlers. Whereas we're talking like 
if we want to talk about when I first uh, had a match against a girl, uh, 2009, this is a long time ago. Yeah, for sure. So there is a, usually a big gap between the girls that are like good girls that are athletic girls that like have a lot of potential. And then maybe there's a lot of girls that are like, you know, ah, Oh, not so much. And usually a lot of girls, they often wrestle each other. Right. So you get these, some girls that are, you know, Whoa, they're exceptional. And then they have to constantly wrestle other girls who maybe, maybe are, are still developing. Let's just, let's say that. So it's harder for them maybe sometimes to hone their skills when they maybe not being able to be in the ring with somebody who could go a little bit harder or push the pace a little bit more or uh, are a little bit more skilled than maybe some of the other people that that girl that's better could work with. Do you, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, that that so let's take that good girl for instance who's who's really well there's something there why shouldn't she wrestle um, get in the ring with with guys that are you know maybe more athletically put together or more competent in the ring or that'll just help them develop right that'll to to, to have them in there and to wrestle them as no different uh, it'll help them grow it'll help them you know get better and yeah sure I'm sure that that happens in training and whatnot but i started i started wrestling more girls and i and i kind of made it, it um my my goal to not wrestle them any different than i would a, a guy right because i feel like it would be shortchanging them i feel like it would be uh disrespectful in a way you know i'm not gonna oh, wrestle you like a girl you know <laughs> and i'm sure that's not what they would want I don't think so. You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's no female professional athlete in the world that would want to be told like, Oh, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll play you like a girl. Yeah. You know? Take it easy on you. No. So yeah, I, uh, had good matches with, with some female wrestlers or, you know, where people perceived to be good at the time. And that kind of just became a thing here and there, but I wasn't the only one. There was plenty of other guys that for were doing sure. it for sure. Yeah, yeah. Let me talk about uh, play devil's advocate and talk about a couple criticisms that people who don't like it have. And one, I, let me give you my opinion first of all. It, it's not, you know, and I say to everybody, whatever is your cup of tea, God bless you. You know, there's all kinds of styles, and we don't all have to like the same thing. I have no problem with intergender wrestling, but to me, and again, it's just my opinion. I, it has to be, to in in my head, believable. And you mentioned like some of the girls you wrestled earlier were bigger or more athletic to me. That's what it has to be. If I see a, you know, a, a guy of, you know, six, five, or it doesn't have to be six, five, but you know, a guy who's 250 pounds or whatever in there with a girl who's 135 pounds and five feet tall or whatever that I have a little bit of a suspending disbelief. That's just, sure. um, how do you, do, do you look at it? Do you see that at all? Or, or do you think that size really doesn't matter? Uh, as long as the, you know, the storytelling is good and, and whatever. Hmm. This is one of those things where like, okay, see, I have my, obviously my opinions and my ideas of pro wrestling and I've evolved and grown 
as a pro wrestler over the years, especially from where I was at when I was first doing matches like this. Mm-hmm. So my opinions have changed, to be honest. Um, and the way I present myself, you don't see me doing these matches very often. I don't do them anymore, really. So what does that say? But what I'll say is this, regardless of whatever my idea of what I believe pro wrestling is, should be, could be, is, is much different from a lot of other people's opinions. Um, pro wrestling is a subjective art. It is a subjective art, whether you like it or not. What one person likes is, is not what another person likes. It's that they don't have to like the same things. They could meet somewhere. They could be complete opposites of each other. Um, so in a way, especially here, forget about it. And, and, and even we could go to Japan because I will, I'm going to mention uh, something it could be anything you want it to be. Um, here, for a while, it was extremely uh, looked down on. It was looked down on, uh, intergender wrestling. But what people don't realize is, you know, there's so much uh, hypocrisy involved. But, you know, here we go, culture differences and whatever. You know, you're going to choose somebody like me up for intergender wrestling or and all that. And nowadays intergender wrestling is just, it's completely, it's almost like completely widely accepted. I'd say aside from fans that do hate it. And I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the business that are behind the scenes that do hate it. And that's why it's not everywhere, but you got <laughs> someone like Minoru Suzuki, you know, who that is right. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Minoru Suzuki is an intergender wrestler. He's wrestled many women, right? Okay, um, you have somebody like that who's doing it in Japan. <laughs> uh, you can't tell me because <laughs> that's why that's that's where I take my cues. Well, yeah, nobody's yeah. gonna argue with Suzuki. That's for sure. Sure. Can I? Could I have gone about things differently? Could I have done things smarter? Sure, better. Yeah developing man you know i was on and i was my my intention always though my number one intention with that stuff because i'm a big i don't know if you follow me on social media i'm a huge joshi fan i love women's wrestling i do i support it um my number one goal with that stuff always was to just give the girl an opportunity to to shine in maybe a way where Maybe some of the other girls are just not athletically inclined enough or put together enough or can't, you know, push the pace enough with a certain girl to get that out of them. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, That was always my goal, going into those matches and doing those matches. It was never to – that was always my number one idea in my mind. So, you know. The other major criticism, obviously, aside from the believability factor – um, is people look at it as, you know, especially some of these matches that are very snug, uh, stiff, whatever word you want to use, or, you know, whether they're hardcore matches, um, they look at it as it, it just comes off to them as it's violence towards women. It's man-on-woman violence. I mean, how, how do you react when you hear that criticism? What would you say to, to those critics? I do understand. I get it. I do understand the argument, but it is like, it's like you ask yourself why they, they say that, and it's because, sure, you know, now we're going we're gonna to go off in a whole different direction. We're going to break kayfabe, whatever. 
pro wrestling, you know, it's happening live. So it's like happening in reality almost, you know, right? Yep. That's what you'd say. It's not like them because there's always that argument that people say, um, well, what about in a movie when, uh, you know, I'm going to totally date myself and sound like a, like a nerd, but like Cynthia Rothrock, do you know who that is? Yes, I do. Okay, like someone like Cynthia <laughs> Rothrock's beating up all these dudes in this like Hong Kong Kung Fu movie. That's a name from the past, wow. Sure, right? Or like whatever. Who would be like the, 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 the today? Uh, Uma Thurman and Kill Bill or something, right? There you go, yeah. Uh, you know, what about this chick? She's beating up all these dudes in the movie. Like, that's, but like, so why can't it happen in pro wrestling? And it's like, yeah, why can't it happen in pro wrestling? We're kind of almost in a very similar, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. uh, it, it's just, uh, it's funny because for as serious as a pro wrestler as I, um, as I am and I, you know, I could, and I present myself and my, you know, I'm so into it and all that. Yeah. I, I could totally see why, why wouldn't I be able to do this with a, with a female, you know? Well, uh, why, well, you know, Chris, Kristen Statlander, she's uh, with AEW. Yeah, of course. Yeah. She's, she's been in ring of honor. She is an incredible athlete. We're talking like if you gave that girl, you know, if you gave that girl a softball and said, go be the best softball player you can be, she'll go and be the best softball player you can be. You tell her, go be a, be a, a, a go be a surfer or something. She'll be the best surfer ever. You, I think she's just a freak athlete. You go tell her play football. She'll, she'll, she'll. I think she could do anything. Um, I want to work with somebody like that, even if it's a girl. Even if I make, if I makes me look weak, that I, I, you know, I go down because she can't. If if somebody like that, she's kicked me in the face. It's gonna hurt. You know, we we could go on and on about it. We could go on and on about this all day. We could, there's there's so many doors you could open and 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 you know you could raise all these questions and I I just feel like you know they're they're pro wrestlers too man I just wanted to work with some of the with some of the good ones and and it's a it's a challenge for you too as a as a as a man and as a pro wrestler well i have to now the better you get with it and the the more efficient you're getting at putting together these matches and it becomes a challenge to have to work with a different blueprint and how could i tell this story and and entertain this audience and how could i get this point across and if yeah some people aren't going to like it well what am i supposed to do be afraid about what they think about their poor opinion you know i i'm, I'm in that moment i'm just i'm not i wasn't thinking about that at that time so let me bring up what's a pretty, uh, I don't know, infamous or famous incident uh, that involved uh, Kimberly uh, at a match uh, you guys had back in 2015 mm. where you gave her a, uh, your Pazuzu bomb. Sure. Tossed her, you know, good ways across the ring. Um, and she landed, you know, at least to me, it looked like she landed awkwardly, didn't quite land maybe as flat as she wanted to. I guess her head came close to, hitting the ring bell. Um, and there was a lot, yeah, that thing went viral. I, mean, I don't know how many views it got a, a lot. <laughs> got a yeah, lot. One of, of the that. first of its kind like that. Right. Yeah. Um, well, let me just ask you this. How much backlash did you suffer in your career from that? I mean, you certainly got a lot of attention from it, but was it, hmm. was it attention that helped or at the time did it hurt? Well, I'd say in one respect it hurt with the ring of honor, I think, and I never got a real answer from whoever i just heard from you know people talking or whatever 
about someone in the ROH office at the time was so appalled by it that they made sure I was never, ever brought back. And this was right after I made my debut. And I, I wanted to work with Ring of Honor. I was trying to get my foot in the door there. And that, uh, you know, took, the way I was made to believe was what stopped that from happening. So in one respect, yeah, that hurt me, but that lit a huge fire under my ass. Like you couldn't believe. So think about how I feel when I'm debuting at the anniversary show. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, do I understand why though? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. But now if you're going to examine it, now you have to, now the only way it's being seen, well, it, the only way it was seen at the time is taken completely out of context which is usually how everything works these days. Something is taken completely out of context and then all these ideas and opinions are built on it and then it turns into a big, turns into a big mess. Um, me and Kimberly had an impromptu match uh, where we were both like in street clothes and whatever and the match started. We worked to the finish. Now someone took a video on their phone of the finish and the way that the camera angle looked it looked wild, you know. She has a long blonde hair at the time, and it looks like her head hits the bottom turnbuckle. But realistically, it was just her hair. She was very far from it, and she landed completely flat. You know, in my older age, and we're talking about kayfabe, I mentioned the word kayfabe because I, I, excuse me, I, I care, and I hate having to give this stuff up. But for the sake of the show, you wanted to talk about it, I'll talk about it. She landed completely flat. She was fine. Um, everything about all of that, everything we did that day was fine. We, we walked away from that day not thinking anything of it. It was just like another day, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then later on that night on the way home, uh, Ortiz from Proud and Powerful, we were <laughs> in the van together. And he was like, yo, man, you, you see in Facebook right now? Like, you got to go on there or whatever. You got to see that video. It's like, everybody's talking about it. And I was like, oh, no. So and then, it, then I saw the effects of a viral video and whatever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it looked crazy. And it came off as, like, just wild kind of crazy indie show thing where guy beats up girl or whatever. Yeah, sure. But it, that wasn't the case at all. It was, it was a whole match that led into that moment. It wasn't like I just went in there with the girl, did the chair. Cause they, they, they were all crazy about the chair shot too. What they don't see is she hits me over the head with the chair first before that. But she actually, you could see, she puts her hands up. It was a, it was a plastic chair. It was all safe and all rehearsed and all well thought out. The finish happened and yeah, the finish looked wild, but from that phone angle, of the viral video, it looked like extra wild. So yeah, I took a lot of heat for that. Um, do I regret it in a ways? Yeah, there was a lot of times where I said, God, why did this happen? I hate this, this, whatever. But then, in, you know, thinking about where intergender wrestling is now, it's like if somebody did that now, they'd just be like, oh, that was great. That, that, I love that. that this is the, what I love, the hypocrisy and everything, right? If something like that happened now, because now it's so widely accepted now, see, think about all the people that would come to my defense then. That's true. That, that aren't, that weren't around then. People would be, 
bop, bop, all about it. They love it. They, they defend me up and down, you know? So a friend of mine actually recently told me I was a pioneer. I was one of them. And, and I will, I will accept that, that, uh, especially when it comes to intergender wrestling and uh, trying to normalize it and just kind of, I, I definitely, uh, I think I had a lot to do with it. Yeah. I think, I think that's, I think that's absolutely fair to say. And I, I think that, uh, I took a lot of heat for that. And it's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, you're, you, you're, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna pay for your art in a way. I don't know if that's like the way to put it. There's a, there's a term, like, it's not like coming off the top of my head, but yeah, I definitely had to eat crap for that. I probably lost a, a great opportunity at the time, which I really, really wanted. And, uh, well, yeah, it's, it sucked, but, and I'm sure I got a, I got a ton of heat with a lot of old timers in the business or whatever. And, you know, it became cool for everybody to rip on Jim Cornette or whatever. I was one of the first people blocked by Jim Cornette. Really? <laughs> and I, yeah. And I'm, and, and here, here's a little FYI. I'm actually a kind of, a, I'm actually kind of a pretty big fan. I like Cornette. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, but yeah, um, uh, he, uh, I, I just, I, I, man, I had to roll with the punches. I, I got, I got to put food on the table. So I, I just kept moving forward. I wasn't going to like, you know, you know, and you just quit wrestling over it. Sure. But uh, I definitely got a lot smarter about picking and choosing my spots wrestling women, that's for sure. Well, and look, at the end of the day, as you put it, um, what's the goal, right? The goal is to make stuff look real and make it look like it's devastating and really hurts. Well, let's we be real. Did, this is but- something I used to, I used to definitely, I used to take credit for. I used to almost brag about it. It was like, listen... She was perfectly fine. And she said so afterwards. She did, because, I mean, I guess that's, that's you know, maybe we shouldn't have apologized. Maybe that took some steam off of it. Maybe I just should have went full bore with the getting heat. Um, but I, I did what I had to do. I protected her, and I took care of her, and, and I always did. And she was a fine opponent, always, that girl, Kimberly. She was, I wrestled her a handful of times and we had a, obviously a story there based on that whole thing. And we worked well together and I, you know, and people, people wanted to make it as if I, she was being taken advantage of, hell no. And Kim had wrestled many guys before that, before that incident. And I'm pretty sure she wrestled many dudes after too. And, um, I, there was nothing wrong with that, with what happened there that day. Everybody just made it seem like there was. So at the end of the day, I protected her. I did my job. Everything was fine. Everybody got worked. I guess I, I guess like, you know, but that's the problem. That was, that's a big problem. And uh, you can't really work anybody anymore. When you, when you actually work people, they get like pissed off about it almost. Right. You know, and that's, um, that's, that's where we are in 2021. Yeah, are we still there, you know, because we were there in 2015, you know, or it was just so outlandish people couldn't handle it. But the fact that she was, I I was not, people were almost like pissed off that they, that they got worked. And uh, I'm a big, I was, you know, when I was coming up, I I love Brian Pillman, right? So there was a part of that whole thing that I was eating up and I loved it. Yep. Because I always had people on edge thinking I was, you know, dangerous. <laughs> and, uh, 
Well, hey. Brian Pillman's a great example. I'll go back because I'm, I'm older than you, so I'll give an even older example. I saw one of the interviews you did in character after the Kimberly incident, and it was a reaction to her who she was basically doing a shoot saying things, you know, I'm fine. Maybe some people think we took it too far, but I'm fine, blah, blah, blah. And then your response was, um, you know, I'm not sorry. And, and, you know, I'm real. And, and that reminded me of Johnny Valentine because Johnny Valentine used to always say, you know, when people come to the, to the wrestling matches, they don't know, they don't know what's real and what isn't for most of the card. But they shouldn't. There, they shouldn't. Exactly. They but shouldn't. he always said, when I'm out there, they know I'm real. And that reminded me so much of when you cut that promo saying, hey, what I did is, is, was real. Sure. But, you know, this was also at a time period where, sadly, um, the, uh, the trendiest guys and the people on top were kind of like taking it in a direction where everything was wink, wink, nod, nod. 100%. Kind of what's turned pro wrestling into a parody of itself. Yep. And uh, the, that whole like idea of pro wrestling uh, still f- walking that fine line is kind of like it's uncool to take it that seriously anymore. And uh, yeah, I had to eat a lot of crap for it. And um, but I mean, I'm not, I'm not like I don't regret it because I'm perfectly fine with the way everything's worked out. Sure, would it have been cool to maybe be more of a part of Ring of Honor then and maybe even potentially find my way into New Japan Pro Wrestling years ago? Yeah, absolutely. That was the goal. But I just got derailed there a little bit. And uh, without getting into too much detail, it's that, like I said, whoever out was, was, was behind that and out there to, to hurt me, you, all you did was just light a bigger fire under my ass. So thank you. There you go. At the end of the day, I've always said this a million times, and it's a cliche, but it's true. Cream always does rise to the top eventually. That's and it's, my it, line, it's, baby. It is unfortunate that you got derailed. But you're a talented guy, and one way or another, you're going to get to where you need to be. And sure. proof of that now. All right, well, we're going to take another break, and we'll be back with more with Chris Dickinson right after this. Hi, I'm Quinn McKay, the host of Ring of Honor's weekly YouTube show, Week by Week. Join me every Tuesday for brand new episodes as we catch up on all of the groundbreaking ROH news and get exclusive comments from some of your favorite ROH stars. We also have some great weekly segments like Question of the Week, This Day in History, and Brian Zane's Top 5. Join me every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on social media and youtube.com slash ring of honor for Week by Week. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Chris Dickinson, member of Violence Unlimited. I want to touch on a little bit, just um, and, and you sort of touched on it earlier, just kind of your fandom um, as a wrestling fan. I just want to get a sense of when did you first discover pro wrestling and, and uh, about, you know, about what age and, and what were you watching at the time? What wrestling? I'm going to say I was probably uh, three or four because I can't, I've been – so into pro wrestling as long as I could remember, I'm lucky I have an older brother and sister who were growing up in the eighties and, you know, kind of wrestling was just there. You know, my mom says that uh, she'd order SummerSlam or WrestleMania or the Royal Rumble for my brother and sister. And I would just be there being like a little, you know, goo goo gaga, poop my <laughs> pants baby. And they, they said that I was, I reacted to it more than anybody i loved it you know and so they started buying me the toys 
um, that I st- I have that I have all still have all everything, <laughs> and uh, WWF is is pretty much you know Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior, Macho Man, Randy Savage. That's kind of how I first you know the first images of pro wrestling i can remember as a kid mm-hmm. and uh, i i don't remember never not loving pro wrestling wwf eventually turns into wcw because you know we all had remotes and we all had you know who who, who had cable who didn't or whatever um watched wrestling on tv uh, eventually you know wrestling just became like my thing and my it's my mom's fault i guess for supporting it by continuously keeping everything wrestling themed i don't know um but i started uh in martial arts and i started going to karate dojo when i was six years old and i met other kids obviously there that all liked wrestling so then the camaraderie of pro wrestling and then obviously friends in school that like pro wrestling and we're all talking 1994 five six seven here so this is like when pro wrestling was big time um I just loved it. I, I, I loved everything about it. I, I didn't miss a Raw. I didn't. Um, I watched WCW Saturday Night. I watched Nitro. I eventually found out about ECW pretty early from a, a kid in the fourth grade. I remember this kid, David. He told me about this wrestling show on Late at Night. I didn't believe him. I thought it was all a lie. He named these names. Jean-Claude Van Damme's brother, Tommy Dreamer, Taz Sabu. I was like, you're making all this up. This is all a lie. It wasn't a lie. <laughs> uh, I discovered ECW. That was a big, like, wolf, big blow away moment. And I found ECW when I was still, like, only, like, 10 years old, late at night on television one time. Um, yeah, I can't imagine. I was a big fan at 10, too. But, I'm, again, I'm older than you. I can't imagine being 10 and seeing ECW for the first time. That must Yeah, it's my brother's fault. He was in my, my room. In my room, I had a, a, we had the PlayStation. Remember PlayStation when it was just the, the, the original PlayStation? Um, and we had Resident Evil, that game. And he wanted to, wanted to play the game. My brother's a big video game uh, nerd. And he was playing the game in my room. And I was supposed to be asleep, but he was, you know, I wasn't asleep. I was sitting in the, in the bed watching him play the game. And I was like, huh, it's late at night that wrestling show could be on that that kid always talks about. Let me go just like switch through the channels and see if I find it. And lo and behold, I literally found it that night. And I remember I went in my sister's room and I, it was a TV where you turn the dial to. It wasn't cable. Oh, that's old school. Yeah. And it was, it was on, it was on, it was on the TV that night. I remember, I'll never forget seeing the ECW for the first time and witnessing first time, uh, seeing pro wrestling and that aesthetic that wasn't uh, a, a highly produced television product like a WWF or a WCW. You know, I saw maybe one really bad indie show that I thought was ECW on a public access channel. And it wasn't. It was some local thing in Staten Island from back in the day. It was the only other thing I ever saw other than... And I had gone to... And I went to an indie shows with my dad. Um, here in Staten Island, where I actually I eventually went to ECW live here in Staten Island as well. I was at a show where there was a riot. I don't know if you ever heard about the riot at that sports fest in Staten Island, but yeah. yeah so, so I saw ECW for the first time, and that was a blow away moment. And then uh, eventually, you know, pro wrestling everything for a few years there in that late '90s, 
it was crazy going to, I had the, I grew up in the best time. I thought everybody's always going to say that right about their time. But yeah. for the time where I grew up there in that sixth, seventh, eighth grade, it was the pro wrestling was so on top 98, 99, 2000 I started high school. And that's when I started getting into the indie stuff when ECW folded, started finding out about all this other stuff that, that was going on. And it was just, it, at that point, I already knew in my, in my life I was going to be a pro wrestler. I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I'd sit on the internet looking up wrestling schools, how it worked, where I'd have to go, what's this, what's that. And um, I discovered through karate, other kids that wanted to be pro wrestlers too, made lifelong friends and you know, everybody got into backyard wrestling together. And then who was getting together to go and travel to go to the, see the indie shows? You know, who's going to go to Jersey All-Pro? Who's going to go to the, oh, you know, we found out about Ring of Honor. I remember when Ring of Honor started. I remember the announcement of Ring of Honor starting. Uh, we, we, we were all in, in it together. We were all in on it together. We all bought the tapes. We all bought the DVDs. That's how I started getting into Japanese wrestling. I started discovering legit because, you know, you always knew Japanese wrestlers. You saw them, but you was like, well, where do these guys come from? And <laughs> what's the story? What, what, what's it like over there? And then once the, t the, the, the footage started becoming accessible, FMW, New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, all this stuff, Michinoku Pro Wrestling, all this stuff I started discovering around that time. It was like an explosion, you know, and it would, that was a time period where it wasn't like we have everything on our fingertips. It was like, if you got a tape, that tape was like, you know, some Indiana Jones type. Shit. It was like, you, 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 you coveted, you, it was coveted. It was like, Oh my God, I got this tape. You got to come and watch this tape, these matches on, you know, you had so, to seek it out. That, that, that wasn't hard to, it wasn't easy to find. That's for sure. Oh man, I still got from this, one of the first, probably the first, like, at the time, up to date, what was happening on the cool indies, what was going to become Ring of Honor type shows. It was uh, UCW. Uh, I have an RF video catalog at the, that, that they would give you at the time. It was like a thick little book that you could look and see all the tapes that were available. And I had everybody autograph it. Homicide, Loki, Xavier, The Hit Squad, uh, Red, um, Kid Cruel, maybe Matt Stryker was there. I don't know. Little Guido was on the show. I have all this, this, this book still intact, this art video catalog. And it's like, you know, if that was sometime in 2001, you know, Ring of Honor was around in 2002. And right. you know, I, was, I was just there as a fan for so much of the, the beginning of like what indie wrestling was really about to become over the next couple of years whether it was like, you know, American Dragon or, or you know, Samoa Joe. I was there for a lot of that. So I was there Paul Paul London's last Ring of Honor show before he went to WWE. And I was there for a lot of big, big moments. That's very cool that you were there for that as a fan and now you're working for the company all these years later. And I think it's so cool that, like, you had Homicide autographing your, your program or whatever. Now here you are in a faction with Homicide. Well, you got to understand something, man. You know, I obviously, going back to the stuff we were talking about before, about the, you know, when I had a shot with Ring of Honor, I was pissed off because Ring of Honor was like, Ring of Honor, I, Ring of Honor was such a, a huge, had such a huge impact on my life. Yeah. I was a huge uh, fan of, of pro wrestling Noah because of Ring of Honor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because of that, that crossover relationship there. 
Ring of Honor was like a gateway to learning about all this, this other stuff that you may have not known about before. In what world would you ever get to see Kenta Kobashi wrestle in person? You know, Ring of, Ring of Honor provided that uh, to, to fans, which is tremendous. It's still the greatest match ever. It happened, ama- in it my amazing, opinion. amazing time. There's no question. There's no, you know, if you want to say what's the greatest independent wrestling match of all time, because I don't know if Ring of Honor was, I guess you could say they were still an indie then, whatever. It's a stupid argument, but greatest match to take place here, it's Kenta Kobashi Samoa Joe. It's, <laughs> come on. Uh, Ring of Honor, I mean, when I found, when I saw Kenta, you know, when I, when I saw Kenta for the first time, that final battle 2005 match with Loki, that was like, well, this is what I, I need to do that with my life. This is what I want to do with my life. This is this energy that they've created here in this room. This is what I want to create. This is who I want to be like. So Ring of Honor, you know, had made it accessible for me to track down all this other stuff too and and be able to start following a promotion like Pro Wrestling Noah from a from pretty early in the company's time and and uh, and be a part of like that ride as a fan get into like you know get get into p- pirating bootleg Japanese wrestling DVDs <laughs> myself and all that stuff you know it's just because I was such a big fan and um, I loved Ring of Honor man I love I loved I was a pretty pretty big fan of Ring of Honor for a long time and. Um, yeah, to be able to be there now and to be a part of it, and it's 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 pretty cool. It's it's uh, in my opinion, I'm not. I'm, I know it may sound arrogant, but I think it's long overdue. But uh, it's uh, it. I and then I also there's a I retract that because, like I said before, everything happens for a reason, and you know things things lined up exactly the way they need to line up. Because I wouldn't want to be in any other position than the position I'm in now. You know, I feel like I'm in a pretty good position, so I'm happy with the way everything's worked out. And it, it doesn't, you know, I, I, I love to look back on all those moments. I, you know, I moved recently and I went through a, an old drawer in my old bedroom, um, just full of ticket stubs from old Ring of Honor shows and little things like when Liger came, uh, we all threw streamers and I have like a piece of the streamer that was thrown in the ring. And I remember like reaching out to touch Liger's shoulder when he was walking by and the way out of the entrance way and just so many little things, man. Uh, that ring of honor was a, was a pretty big part of my, of a very important part time of my life, you know, formative years. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very cool that it's obvious by your story that, you really became a fan of pro wrestling uh, and not necessarily the sports entertainment style of pro wrestling. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There isn't. And, and as you said, you know, you were, you were a big fan during the Monday night wars, but I think gravitating towards um, the ring of honor style at that time and new Japan and all the Noah, all the, all the Japanese wrestling FMW, you mentioned it all. Um, you clearly were not just your, casual well i know about wcw and and uh, wwf and and that's it you really sought out um i guess sort of you know the the thing that only the real hardcore fans really knew about back then you were part of that exclusive underground club right that knew those things well we were all coming off the tail end of that ecw run yeah um and there was a sense back then of 
us versus them as far as the fans, the wrestling, the company. WWE was like, or WWF was like this pipe dream or whatever. It wasn't like guys just got jobs there and showed up. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. It was not like how it is now. And the fan culture now is like nothing could be bad. If you go on, on Twitter and you criticize something or whatever the story is or this and that, you will get eaten alive for it. You know, it's like nobody could say anything's bad. Um, there, everyone is – and that's a good it's, – it's a good thing in a way uh, that there's – it's a way more positive uh, fan culture now. It's almost like toxic positivity. Um, but back then, people were going to tell you they didn't like something. And they were going to be real vocal about it. Uh, and I just was turned off with, with WWE. I hated when they changed the name from WWF to WWE. That was like a stab in my soul. First of all, <laughs> I know it just seems like such a trivial thing, but, um, just in general, I was so into the indie stuff at the time I was into ring of honor. And I started with the, with accumulating tapes, uh, all Japan pro wrestling, new Japan pro wrestling, and it was like, I, I was in high school, I was into music. I, I don't, I was not sitting around anymore on Monday nights, giving three hours of my time to television. Um, and I just kind of fell out of it. And I, and I didn't like the direction that the company was going in creatively as a fan. I, I mean, I, I know that people would probably be like, oh, what a, this guy sounds like such an ass. But I was four, 15 years old. <laughs> um, I just liked the Indies so much more. I was so much, it was so much cooler to me. I love, I would love Samoa Joe. He was like the captain of the ship of the, of this giant warship going to, to do battle with the, the, the corny TV wrestling. You know, I, I loved, I loved every second of it. And uh, it, once, like I said, once I got into Japanese wrestling, I started to, I fell in love with that aesthetic. You know, remember I, I come from a, a martial arts background myself. So, just the, just like the culture, the aesthetic, the presentation, oh, everything about it was so much better. I and I got into just watching matches. I, I'm a, I'm, I love watching matches. I don't. I, I'm. I mean, I like angles when they're funny, when they're cool, whatever. But like, you know, I don't. I hate turning on one of the shows, and it, and it was the same way twenty years ago. Where it's just like they've been talking for like forty minutes, and there hasn't been one wrestling match. It's just all. It's all some sort of bastardized version of Days of Our Lives or something, you know. <laughs> right. And they still do it. They still do it on both shows on TV wrestling. It's you know. So that's I'm. I want to see matches, man. I want to see action, and um, it's way faster for me to pop in a tape or open up a video and or you know put in the DVD than than have to sit through some a bunch of stuff that I don't want to see when I could just get to exactly what I want to see. You know what I mean? Right. That's the type of viewer and the type of fan I became over the, over the years, really. Well, let me fast forward just a little bit to when, uh, so you, once you actually get in the business and, and you got in as a, as a teenager, right? When you yeah, actually, I did. I did. Right. And you were in the business for a few years and then I know you, you actually got out of it for a little bit, right? Like, yeah, what, well, I started young. Like I said, I was fortunate. Jersey all pro wrestling's, Home base was right over a bridge in Bayonne, New Jersey. So literally only about maybe a 10-minute drive from where I, I'm, you know, I, I grew up. Um, I had a friend that was going to the school. His mom used to drive him. I was like, can I bum a ride? 
I brought some money. Like I said, I, I had a, I already kind of had a background in martial arts, so I knew how to fall and all that. And I picked it up real quick, all the basic fundamental stuff. Um, I was in, you know, doing uh, young boy stuff, putting the rings together, going to as many shows. Like I'm still only like 15, 16 years old. Here. I'm a, I'm a, I'm literally a baby. I was a bigger kid, but you know, still I, it's hard for me to get places. I went hard for me to stay super consistent, but I, I was fortunate. My trainer, the same guy who trained Jay Lethal, actually same guy who trained a lot of people. I can you name names. This guy, magic. He's uh, from where I grew up and he was the head trainer at the Jersey all pro school. He used to pick me up and take me to the training and bring me back home. And really great guy really became a, uh, a close friend, almost like a father figure. I mean, literally just a great guy who helped me through those formative years of my wrestling career. Even after I got out, you know, I stayed close to them. I still talk to him to this day. He is one of the best people you could ever meet. It's a great human being and a great guy and a great uh, fundamental pro wrestling trainer. And uh, I got to go to training I went to training a lot when I was 15, 16. I, I wrestled on some small shows here and there. I, at one point, I was under a hood, you know, um, <laughs> doing like the scramble matches, four ways, tag team matches here and there, just smaller, whatever shows you could get on. I remember the first time I got paid to wrestle. I think I got two $10 bills. And I remember telling Magic, I was like, I'm going to save one. I'm going to save both of them. But instead, I ended up buying like a honey bun and some ring dings or something after the show. <laughs> I, remember, I was like, I can't help it. I need, I need food. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then I, I was about 17. I, I was a senior in high school. I, I need to finish school. I, I had to get a little bit more focused. Um, because I didn't know what it was going to if I was going to go to college right after high school. I also played music. I played drums and I I happened to end up just somehow and joining a band that was signed to a German record label at the time. And uh, I was playing shows and I recorded an album just focusing on playing music because I, I do love music. Um, and then something kind of this thing started lining up. Uh, I started getting into working out my grandfather passed away at the time. I was just kind of lost looking for an outlet. I have a few friends, like I mentioned from the karate dojo. One of them in particular is uh, off of the wild Simone's nephew. He actually wrestles for AEW uh, NXT. His name's Sean Maluda. I don't know if you've heard of him. Okay. He was, uh, I've known him since I'm seven years old. Another friend of ours, my friend Tyson, who became my tag team partner, Jocka, we were tag team for two years. We pretty much held the, the evolved tag titles for two years straight. Uh, he was one of those kids, too. We've known him since I'm about six or seven years old. He was starting to want to take wrestling more seriously because we all backyard wrestled together, right? And we all went to training together. We all, we all were playing the game a little bit in our, in our high school years. And then, and then Sean gives me the heads up that he's getting serious about it. And me and Tyson were like, we're close. And Tyson grew up right down the street from me. So we were like neighborhood friends too. Like, I mean, we, me and these kids experienced life together for all those formative years there, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. So we're all pretty close, all wanted to be pro wrestlers. And I was like, okay, 
Tyson's getting into it, he's going to take it seriously? Because he was always the one that had, like, the real strict parents. They didn't want him involved. They couldn't know he was at the park wrestling, you know. And, uh, but he was super talented and gifted as an athlete. You could tell, like, he had something, you know. And I was always like, man, I hope Tyson takes it seriously one day. And when I found out he was gonna, I was like, huh. Because we were super competitive, you know. I was like, that son of a bitch. I was like, <laughs> I'll see you at training. And uh, I hadn't trained at that point, maybe, or gotten in the ring for maybe about like a, two years or so. And I've just been going hard ever since, man. That's pretty much been it since I was, I was probably about 19 at the time, 20. And the rest is history. The rest is history. You know, right. a lot of training, a lot of seeking out training, a lot of, a lot of, uh, training, traveling miles, road, paying dues. All those good things. All those. Yep. Good yep. There you are right here. You've made it. You're on the ROH strong podcast. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Chris. Yeah, that's right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, uh, we'll take our final break. And then when we come back, we're going to play a little game that we like to call 10 questions. Ten questions. This is the prestigious one, Joe Hendry, here to tell you about shophonor.com. That's the new location to go to for all things Ring of Honor merchandise. We've got an amazing selection with the prestigious Ring of Honor logos, but also we've got merchandise for all your favorite Ring of Honor stars. So go support the company, go support your favorite wrestlers, shophonor.com. I'll see you there. Hey, Honor Nation, check out the new and improved Ring of Honor shop at shophonor.com. Shophonor.com turns ordinary online shopping into a truly immersive experience. Our new mobile-friendly design is enhanced for better navigation and search. The recommended for you feature will showcase products based on your unique preferences, or find exactly what you want as you filter any category by your favorite wrestler, size, or color. Go to shophonor.com now. All right, we are back on the ROH Strong Podcast. My guest is Chris Dickinson. It's been a uh, it's been a really great conversation. Uh, you and I have never crossed paths, but uh, I certainly was uh, familiar with you, and it was great to actually talk to you and uh, and hear your story. and And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you do some exciting things in Ring of Honor with Violence Unlimited. But now, the most, it's time. The most exciting things. Yeah, the most exciting things. Most Only excitement. <laughs> All right, well, now it's time to play 10 questions. Chris, are, are you ready for this? I love this, yeah. Okay. And it is now time for 10 questions with Kevin. All right, question number one. What's something on your bucket list? G1. Oh, that's a good one. Right, question number two. What's a subject you'd like to know more about? Mm. 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 Hmm. Something I'd like to know more about. I don't know, man. Uh, North Korea's nuclear program. How the hell do they really fund that thing? I know a little bit about it, but I don't know as much as I probably would like to. That is some, we're talking, we're, we're getting dark, man. We're getting dark. <laughs> we're getting dark, man. Yeah, yeah man. I, I don't think people really realize 
mean, we are going down a dark road here, but I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't a book on this subject. I, I don't think people really realize how close we came to war with North Korea. Yeah, I, I think it's incredible how they like, um, they get these like, they do they do like these, these con they, they get contracts with these other Asian countries and they send like North Koreans to go build buildings and stuff. And the North Korean government gets paid for it and they just take all the money and put it into these programs apparently. Instead of actually reimbursing the workers, they give them like nothing compared to like what they should be getting. And that's like how it works. That's like a way they fund them apparently. I remember I saw a documentary on it. I don't know why it crossed my mind. I'm just being a, I'm being a choo-choo at this point. <laughs> Well, it just sounds like a subject you already know something about, but I guess of course, yeah, no, no. You see, that's a, yeah, I, you know, I get crazy like that. I'll just nerd out because I spend so much time in those hotels by myself. Right. <laughs> I'll uh, I'll nerd out and start watching videos on uh, on YouTube about stuff. I'm a big, I like history and uh, you know a lot of the la more like contemporary last um, you know uh, hundred years and history and. World War One, World War Two, uh, stuff. I I, re I do a lot of research on stuff just to keep myself interested and, and just you know try to be like, damn, there's a lot of this. I can't believe this stuff was going on only 60 years ago. You know, I'm a nerd. All right. Well, hey, you're a you're a strong nerd, so I don't think <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna call you a nerd. All right, you can call yourself one. All right. Question, <laughs> question number three: If you could have a conversation with any celebrity or historical figure living or dead who would it be wow that's 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 epic man that's deep isn't it that's definitely deep oh antonio inoki oh man that's a that's a great answer all right question number four have you ever had a paranormal experience and if not do you believe in its existence oh well i don't know I don't know. I wouldn't be able to give you the, the answer where it's like, I know for sure it was paranormal. Um, and I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm the type of person where I feel it's ignorant to say that there is, that something like that doesn't exist or like say there isn't something else out there. You know what I mean? Right. I always just like to keep in the back of my head that though it may seem unrealistic, obviously, right? I think it's ignorant to think that there isn't something else out there, whether it is uh, this paranormal side of things, or there isn't some sort of an afterlife maybe, or there isn't something else in the universe, obviously. I think that would be the most uh, the most realistic thing to assume that there isn't, that, that, that there's no chance in hell we're the only thing out there. Right. So uh, I, I can't, I, <laughs> I, I, have I ever had a paranormal experience? I believe I was, I was gonna say something like my you know going to my grandfather, right? Um, I feel like when people die and they leave Earth, right, and they leave their body, their whatever their you know their their physical being is here. I mean, whether or not there is an afterlife or there they, there is some sort of paranormal you know thing that goes on after after death um it's very possible for someone's someone to be very much alive after you know they've deceased in the physical based on you know what they leave behind like 
you know, is like I, my grandfather, for instance, for example, and it could go anybody could say this. I don't. I feel like there was periods of time, even after he passed away, where he was never more alive. You know, even more so than when he was here physically, because his spirit's living on through me and my family. You know, right. and he's constantly being celebrated, and and we're constantly talking about him. And then then this this person spirit finds ways into your life influencing you and all these and making things happen even though they're they're they seemingly don't even exist anymore i mean look at artists that became famous years after they died you know things like that uh i i i think that's you know it's 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 a shame it's it's wrong to think that somebody when they die that they're they're dead. I think that the people could still be very much alive even after they've left Earth physically. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you do. You you will not say that it doesn't exist, even though you may not have had what would be categorized as a paranormal experience. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I think I'm with you on that. I, I'm mm -hmm. the same way. Like I want to believe it. But I haven't had an experience myself. I'm, I'm, I yeah. mean, I would love to have a paranormal experience. Me too. I hope at least a positive one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Like I watch all the ghost shows, and I wanna, I wanna have a, I wanna have some kind of interaction, but it just it hasn't happened. Yeah. All right. Question number five: What TV show are you currently binge watching, or have you binge watched lately? And I guess with your schedule, you might not even have time to binge watch anything. No, I'm not a big TV guy. To be honest, I don't, I don't watch uh, TV shows. Okay. I have a few favorites that I have watched over the years that I, you know, I always call back to whenever, whenever anybody wants to talk about TV. Um, God, speaking of paranormal, you know, wild, crazy stuff, I did watch a few episodes of the Heaven's Gate show on, uh, I think it's on HBO or one of those apps, or it's about the cult Heaven's Gate. Yeah. The people who think like they were gonna be taken away in UFOs. <laughs> so yeah. talk about paranormal. Um, I watched a few episodes of that, but I, I don't. I, I God, I uh, Joey Janela was like telling me last year around this time, you gotta watch the show Oz. You gotta watch Oz. I never watched it before. I watched about like three seasons, and I was like, I can't do it anymore. I can't. And this was like when everything was really shut down, so there was nothing else to do. But as far as like, I, I'm not the type of person that could sit there for eight hours and watch anything. I could watch wrestling, but I'm not a big TV show guy. I like my favorite shows are like uh, Californication. I loved X Files. Obviously, I'm a big David Duchovny fan. So um, I liked Sopranos. Obviously, I thought Sopranos was good. Uh, what else? I watched the first two seasons of Stranger Things, but that was I watched them with like my girlfriend at the time. Um, yeah. Not not a really huge TV show guy. I like shows on. I like the. I, I'm, I like shows on YouTube more. I like that 15, 20 minute range. I have a short attention span. Okay. Yeah. yeah I think people should watch uh, the New Japan Strong Show on uh, New Japan World, and they should watch Ring of Honor Wrestling. I think those are the two. Shows. Yeah. Good. 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 Good call. Thanks. For, thanks for. Thanks for doing that for me. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, question number six. What's something popular? that you don't see the appeal of. Oh God, did you, did, we're gonna have to, we could do a whole podcast of that. Yeah, believe me, I'm, I'm with you. Do you, you, you have like, you know, maybe six and a half hours? <laughs> maybe maybe we maybe we should get somebody to film a documentary about this. Oh God, I don't know, man. I could forget about it, dude. We could, what's something popular? I don't know, so much, 
Dude, I... Uh, it's just... Oh, God. I don't know. Just the, the... the Think about so much stuff the last year that just... was rough. <laughs> if, if it comes to mind and it makes you think the damn that sucked, that's probably what I'm thinking too. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Gotcha. Uh, question number seven. Do you have a celebrity crush? Oh my god, yeah, of course. And who would that be? Oh, uh, like they can't be in wrestling. They they could be just they have to let's just kind of think outside the box. Could be any um, any box, any box. I don't know. I like the old. I'm like in love with the. I have like huge crushes on the 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 OG Joshi uh, girls, like Minami Toyota. Mm, but my yeah. favorite, my my number one crush ever is uh, Takako Inoue. This is, this is the type of nerd I am. Like, there's levels to this. There's some extreme levels to this. It's terrible. But, yeah, no. Um, huh, celebrity crush. Wait, oh, yeah, you guys interviewed uh, Homicide, and all he said was porn stars, right, or something? That is that is what he said, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, Brody told me about that, and I died. And I was like, well, I'd kind of have all the same answers, to be honest. Um, but that's not a road I really want to go down here, so... <laughs> I, I a celebrity crush. I don't know. I don't really like like. I don't know. I'm trying to think of, like who's in the movies that I think is like super hot or something. I haven't really. I don't know. I always liked uh, when I was like a little kid. I really had a crush on Baby Spice from the Spice Girls. Baby Spice. I remember that one. I remember the Spice Girls. Yeah, she was the blonde, right? Yeah. 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 Or back in the day, you know, who I used to think it was like super dupe, like insanely hot, was uh, Dawn Marie. Yes. Yeah, Dawn Marie, she's so hot. Question number nine. Do you have any hidden talents? Is there something you're good at that we don't know about? I play music. Uh, I don't know if that would be a hidden talent. It's kind of like out there. Play drums, play a little bass. Uh, Oh, I I fish pretty extensively. Not as much as I was when I was living in Massachusetts, but I'm... uh, yeah, I uh, routinely, routinely at one point, and you know, obviously it's there's only so much skill could bring you, but you know, based on uh, the factors of the you know the migration and the stocks of the fish and everything, but it was one point where I was slaying like 30, 40 pound striped bass on a daily basis huh. during okay. certain during some during the season. Uh, yeah, I, I fish and I, I fish for, I've fished for multiple species of fish and, um, requires, you know, different, uh, angling methods and gear and all that stuff. And I got, I've, I've spent thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars on stuff for different types of fishing to target different species. Just, you know. Do you have one of those little like floppy hat fishing hat things? I have many floppy hats and fishing hats. I have I have a I have a I have like a I have a fishing kayak. At one point, I had an off road vehicle just to basically like drive on uh, open beaches in the Cape in Massachusetts, uh, yeah, like through the too. woods and stuff. Like yeah, it was at one point I was I was really going after it pretty hard. So. I love fishing, and I grew up. I grew up with it. My my dad was a surf caster. If you look up what surf casting is, that's uh, basically the primary 
target fish for me is a striped bass. You can look up with striped basses. Some people call it a rock fish. Um, striped bass and bluefish. I fish off a. I I I, I fish salt salt water, um, mostly in uh, fast moving water inlets. Uh, I fish mostly at this place called the Cape Cod Canal. You can look that up if you want. Um, it's, it's it requires a totally different. Uh, set of gear and it's, it's a totally different style of, of fishing than normal surf casting whereas surf casting generally takes place on beaches and boulder fields and you know it requires at times you wear like a wetsuit and have to swim out to rocks to reach the fish and you, you know we, it's a lot of gear a lot of equipment it's not exactly your your most like peaceful just out there throwing a worm out and waiting for a fish to bite type fishing you know it gets pretty yeah that's that sounds pretty involved yeah big rods 10 11 foot rods big tackle um big heavy lures different uh techniques targeting fish in different water columns so like you know you're using uh i fish with artificial lures most of the time not not bait but I do fish with bait sometimes, depending on where, depending on what I'm targeting, depending on what the fish are doing. I'll sling bait, I'll live line, uh, live line uh, bait before. I'll, you know, I'll throw chunks. Uh, depending on what they're on is what you choose. Yeah, there's so many different st- ways to fish, right? But uh, yeah, I, I'm, uh, I could catch you a fish. I could, I could get us dinner if we really need to. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. You'd, you'd be great on one of those. Uh... There's reality shows, right? Where I don't watch them, but like Survivor, I guess, where they throw you on the island and you gotta, you gotta like learn how to fish and, and, and do. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Um, then again, I can't just go to a tackle shop on the island and, and buy, you know, gamakatsu hooks. So it's just, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I, do, I have thought about that. People always do make that comment. It's like Naked and Afraid. That's the show I see you on. Naked and Afraid. Oh, yeah. Naked and Afraid. That, that would be great. <laughs> no, I, I, I lo- I'm, a, I'm a big kind of an outdoors head. I, yeah. uh, I like to camp. I like to fish. I like to get out there. I love, uh, I, lo- I was big, big on nature. Especially when I lived up in Massachusetts, it's really a beautiful state. If you don't know anything about it, there's a lot of real estate for, you know, doing cool outdoorsy type stuff. And there's a lot of coastline, a lot of good fishing. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take your word for it. All right. So question number nine, do you have a favorite sports team? Mm. You know, I've kind of become disenchanted with uh, professional sports from a Mark standpoint. Um, God, I feel like the diehard fandom of professional sports and the competitive nature between sports uh, fans has kind of like really like taken a toll on everything in this country in a way. Uh, I'm kind of just meaning politics and things like I think the the nature of uh, of like NFL style fandom, you know what I mean? That absolutely, I know what you mean. Um. But realistically, if I am going to tell you, my, you know, the, I'll give you a, a sports team that I dedicated a lot of my my upbringing to that brought me a lot of happiness, and there was a return on it. it was the New York Giants, for sure. The New York Giants. The New York Giants, in my opinion, were. I mean, they are the most one of the most important, if not the most important franchise in the NFL or pro sports. I mean, in terms of the NFL. You have no New York Giants. You have no New England Patriots, inevitably. 
because you want to go back to when the Giants really took the strides and, and you know became the New York Giants of the that mid to late 80s early 90s we're talking a team built around look at the you know any like any team sport it all starts in the front office you, you got you had Parcells you had Belichick what a lot of people don't realize is wide receiver coach of that team was Tom Coughlin who inevitably became the coach of the New York Giants you got guys all over that organization there that branched out eventually and helped build Robert you know Roger Kraft's uh Robert Kraft, whatever, the, the owner of the New England Patriots organization, whether it was, you know, Parcells, uh, Belichick, those two organizations are so, like, tied together in so many ways. That's why I thought it was so beautiful that it all came together that we ended up having that feud with the Patriots almost there where we took them, took down the, the undefeated team in 07. We beat them again in 2011. You know, after – I'm not, like, a gluttonous – fan like uh you know some of the hardcore yankee fans that expect like their team to they, they expect the yankees to have to win the world series every year or at least that was the case at some point or a lot of those like really crappy new england fans that believe that the patriots are going to win it every year well that was the case because I was say they pretty much did. they pretty much did yeah they were in the the, the, the patriots are the greatest sports franchise of all time I don't think you get an argument from anybody. No, no. Michael Jordan, forget it. You could match them. We could talk about anybody. Put anybody in the conversation. Mickey Mantle, uh, uh, Michael Jordan, um, the, 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 the Yankees of the, the late 90s into the 2000s there. Nobody's coming close to Tom Brady's consistency. No. And uh, and that organi- and that organization at that time for twenty years they were on top. You got they would have they would. It's it's unreal, but the Giants had their number, you know. Uh, they, and so the the New York Giants, I would say, if I had to rank one team as my favorite sports franchise that I I I love and and I always you know look back on and kind of just throw a little throw a little chest bump and be like, hey, that was fun. It was uh, the Giants. Okay. Well, yeah, I get that. The Giants, a lot of history there. Definitely one of the one of the uh, better organizations in the NFL over the years. But, you know, you mentioned those championships, those Super Bowls that they won. I believe they've won four. Yes. Uh, they, they only lost one. Do, yes. do you remember the one that they lost? Oh, yeah. Because that was the the first one that like, – I, I obviously wasn't like a conscious – a live kid when when they beat the Buffalo Bills, you know, and I wasn't alive when they won in 1986. So I was super pumped as like a 10 year old kid or 11. I was not 11 or 12 when they when they played the Ravens, just got demolished. So that was kind of a bummer. But you know, looking back on it, the Giants were like extremely mismatched. The Giants shouldn't have even really beat. I don't know how the hell we beat um, we beat Minnesota in the playoffs that year yeah, on the way to that Super Bowl, but. They, they did, and then they just got crushed, but whatever. You know, the Giants, I, I can't complain. The Giants never let me down. They, they, yep. gave, they, they gave me some big-time Super Bowl uh, experiences there. And, and, and the 2011 uh, team, especially, if you really want to get, get a little personal story, um, my mom who, um, who started, uh, I guess you could say, with her and my stepdad, started they got together around that time period at the time when my stepdad was kind of before he was my stepdad he was he was you know him and my mom were friends and they started dating and then and then he became you know he started 
we shared that experience together because he's a Giants fan. So that that entire 2011 uh, season there, that 2010 2011 season, we were we followed it together, and we we took that whole ride through the playoffs together, and we watched. We didn't miss a game together. You know what I mean? So that really helped our uh, our bond there. You know. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot of great stories like that of people bonding over sports and, and music and those things. And yeah, like to, you never forget those. Yeah, that was 2000. I liked, obviously, 2007 is probably the most epic Super Bowl win of all time. But 2011 means more to me because of that, you know. Well, I'm just going to throw this out there. 2000, uh, Super Bowl 35 was one of the greatest days of my life because I am a huge Baltimore Ravens fan. I'm a Baltimore guy. Uh, had Ravens season tickets since day one. So. I will never forget that day, January 28th, 2001, Ravens 34, Giants 7. I they crushed us. Yesterday. Hey, think about that. Think about how those Browns fans feel, because the Ravens are just really the real Browns. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Ravens are just the real Browns, and the Ravens were good for like 20 years. I know, and they hate Art Modell so much that they're – I mean, we could do a whole – I could literally do a whole podcast on this. But, yeah, they're still yeah. so bitter there in Cleveland. I mean, they – They've conspired to keep Art Modell out of the Hall of Fame, but that's okay. Art Art got his Lombardi trophy in Baltimore, and uh, nobody can take that away. Yeah, Baltimore was nasty for a while, man. So many good players there. I, I remember always, like, because obviously my favorite professional athlete probably ever is Lawrence Taylor. So to hear always everybody saying, oh, Ray Lewis is better than Lawrence Taylor, it's just like, oh, man, like, shut up. But Ray Lewis was tremendous. He was. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an argument that uh, I don't think there's any wrong answer there. Really, it'll span the test of time. It is. It'll, it'll go on forever. All right, we've come to the final question. Much to Chris's delight, question number ten. Uh, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given about the wrestling business? And if you recall, who who gave you the advice? That I've been given. Yes, that someone has given to you. Mm. Apparently, you haven't gotten a lot of good advice. In uh... I've gotten so much. <laughs> I've gotten so much. I would say uh, we have one life. You know, we have one life, uh, and this could pertain to anything, really. But in pro wrestling. You better do what makes you happy. And you better do what you want to do. It's because you only have one one career, you have one life, and you you should make sure it's on your terms. There's some things that money can never buy, you know? And uh, your pride is forever. So you better nurture that, and you better make sure you take care of that. You better enjoy the ride. Otherwise, it's... It's not going to be a good ending for you. Now, do you remember who gave you this advice, or is this just? Yeah, but I'm I don't want to I don't want to say who, but okay. it's uh, it's 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 something that was told to me, and um, and it and it and it and it's it's one hundred percent correct. All right, well, Chris, uh, that is the end of ten questions. That is the end of all the questions. Actually, we've come to the end here. Um, I just want to say thanks so much for uh, giving me so much of your time today because I do know uh, how busy you are and I do know that you're probably jet lagged from uh, coming in on the, uh, from the West Coast. I, I don't think I get jet lagged anymore. I think no? <laughs> yeah. 
All right. Well, hey, man, it was it was great. It was great talking to you. And like I said, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, you guys doing great things in uh, in Violence Unlimited. Thank you. The so best of luck, man. Sure. All right. And I want to thank everybody out there for listening. And remember, a new episode of the ROH Strong podcast drops every Monday morning on ROHWrestling.com and most podcast platforms. Keep it locked on to ROHWrestling.com and ROH's social media channels. That's at Ring of Honor on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook.com slash Ring of Honor for news regarding upcoming episodes. Also, for the latest ROH news and views, read my column, X-Files, every Friday on ROHWrestling.com. Until next time, this is Kevin Eck saying stay safe and let's all be ROH strong.